From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 40 of What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, Chief Revenue Scientist here at Square Two, and I'm joined by Eric Kalis, who is in the, what do they call that, space capital of the South, Huntsville, Alabama? Yep. Incredibly hospitable crowd here at Huntsville. You're big in Huntsville. Huge, huge. <laughs> right. Today, we're going to be talking about your new website already might need an upgrade. So I'm considering this episode the website episode. We may have talked about websites in and around other things that we've discussed, but we're going to really go deep in it today because I know people are really looking at their website the wrong way. So before we get started, let me just remind everybody, you can check out the show on YouTube, the Square Two Marketing Channel, like us, subscribe to it, comment. All of the What's Wrong With Revenue shows are posted there, and today's show will be up there tomorrow morning, like all the others. You can find the show if you're into podcasts on all your favorite podcast platforms. And if you want to take a look at all of Square Two's audio and video content, head on over to square2marketing.com backslash square2plus, P-L-U-S, our free streaming service where you can get all of our audio and video content in one place. If you like the show, you can also go to the link at the bottom of the site, What's Wrong With Revenue, click on it, submit questions like we'll handle today. And you can also add this live show to your calendar, uh, as well as get notifications regarding the show. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. Really appreciate it. So we're going to talk a little bit about your website. You might have built one a little over a year ago. Some people might have built them even longer than that. And you probably would never even consider it needing some kind of refresh, upgrade, or major overhaul already, but there's a good chance it probably does. There's a ton of changes going on with Google search algorithm. There are new tools available for website management. There are new learnings around visitor experience. And even websites that are a few, month, a few months old, unfortunately, could be looking at some major updates. If your pages don't load fast enough, if your conversion's not optimized, if you don't have any interactive elements, video, uh, then you're probably not providing a really remarkable website experience. And as we're going to talk about today, that's really the start of how every single company gets to know you, even if they're a referral. Eric, where are they going? Website. Right, exactly. So it's highly likely that every single person that is coming into contact with your company is starting with your website. And that means it has to be rock solid and it has to deliver amazing experience. We're going to cover a lot of website related issues today. We're going to talk about analytics. We're going to talk about how you track performance. We're going to talk about how you stay on top of your website with growth driven design. And we can explain to you what that is in a little more detail. Um, we might talk a little bit about what kind of fixes you might be considering, both to optimize it for search and most to optimize it for the experience your prospects are getting. We'll talk a little bit about budget, 
And we'll also talk about what resources are needed to keep the site up and running and really killing it from a lead generation perspective. And I'll start this off uh, with two things. A, I got an Easter egg for you. I know Eric likes a good Easter egg and we have an Easter egg here. So hang on for the entirety of the show and we'll give you a little special free prize inside at the end of the show. Uh, we're also going to be hosting a webinar tomorrow all about websites. So if you want to talk, uh, listen to me talk and Gabe, who's the head of CMS at the HubSpot now, and Square2's Interactive Director, Kevin Wheatcraft, we have a webinar tomorrow, 1 o'clock Eastern. You can go to our website and sign up for that. Um, that'll be a very in-depth conversation about some of the things we're going to talk about today, but a lot more detail in terms of what technical things you might need to be considering. And... In that session, we start off with a very clear premise that your website has one goal, one simple objective, one business outcome you should be looking from your website, and that is to generate leads. And if your website is not generating leads or your website is underperforming from a lead generation perspective, then you're in the right place. And hopefully we'll give you some insights today on how you might be able to provide some upgrades to your website. So it does generate leads, generates more leads, and generates leads that turn into sales opportunities that ultimately turn into customers. And with that, I'll uh, invite Eric to see if he wants to provide any introductory comments for our show today. Well, I want to. I, I did a uh, presentation to a group of entrepreneurs this morning here in Huntsville, and the topic of websites came up. So there was a, um, um, a very enthusiastic participant who we uh, were talking about websites. And she worked for a regional bank and she was the head of commercial lending. And I said to her, well, how many of your customers do you think check out your website before they engage with you to start talking about a loan? She goes, oh, I think very, very few. And I said, well, it doesn't seem right. Like getting financing is a pretty hairy uh, adventure. You want to make sure you got all your T's crossed and your I's dotted. Are you sure? She goes, yep, pretty sure. So I said, well... I think it's common behavior that people check out websites on a regular basis for anything they're looking to do, engage, buy, whatever it is. And then I threw her a curveball. I said, well, what are you in the market for? What are you currently buying? She goes, oh, I'm buying my kid a new car. I said, oh, that's great. What kind of car? She said, oh, I'm thinking about a Ford. I said, great. Have you been to their website? She goes, of course, we've been all over. We're picking the things. We're looking at the... I said, do you think maybe there's something there? And she really paused and realized, even though I, I, I got her in my trap, she really paused and thought about, yeah, that's right. If, when I'm buying something, I'm all over people's websites. So why wouldn't it be that way for me as well? So just wanted to give you a little insight into that. I think, you know, like we've talked to people who somehow feel like their business is different, but I think in general, websites uh, are the first place people go and it makes sense. You know, like I even saw a couple people today while I was looking at some emails and I was like, uh, yeah, let me go see what's up with their company. Let me go see what's up with them. Like, what's their experience look like? It's just too easy. You're a link away. You're a click away from uh, uh, being able to learn more about a particular business. So I think it's hands down fairly obvious that most people are going to your website uh, before they decide whether they want to do business with you. And this is where the experience really kicks in. 
Microsoft and, and Google regularly report that you have literally 10 seconds once someone lands on your website to grab their attention and draw them in. And if they're not engaged in some way, then they're likely going to hit the back button and go see who else came up in those searches. Again, it's just too easy to have access to information. You put a search in, you get your listing, you click on you know the, the link that appeals to you the most, you check out the site. If it doesn't meet your needs, you're hitting the back button. Oh, who else is here? Let, let me look at number two or let me look at number three. So I think that's where you really want to start when you're evaluating your website. You really want to think about what that initial experience is when someone lands on the website. And we talk about this fairly frequently, frequently with clients is you have to have an emotional, compelling and engaging message. And it has to be simple and it has to kind of get through to them uh, right away. That's the headline for your website. That's that initial panel that you're thinking about when you um, start looking at your own website. You can all go to your website today, pull it up, take a look at it and see how you feel. Does that move you? Does that, do you think that moves your prospects or does your website look like a lot of your competitors? Um, there's a very specific uh, set of uh, content that people need to see when they land on your website. So beyond this initial story, uh, compelling, emotional and engaging message, they're also looking to make sure it's clear what you do and what you do is what they need done, right? So do you understand that? That would be like our second panel when we're talking to clients about websites. You know, is it, can we quickly communicate that we understand their pain uh, and that we uh, can address their pain with some solutions, whether it's services or products? And then how do we provide those services or products in a remarkable way, in a way that they haven't seen at any of the other websites they might have visited. And then the final piece, and this is sometimes where people kind of get the, the uh, sequence wrong, is social proof. I'm not really going to believe any of these websites. I'm not really going to believe the people who are talking about them, but I am going to look to see if there are other clients like me, other people like me who have had some experiences with this company and, and ha have had positive experiences. And you see this frequently. Companies run a banner of logos of companies that they've worked with. They might have some testimonials on the site. You know, we have a video on our homepage of some of our happy clients talking about what it's like to work with us. So um, those are all important homepage components. And then from there, it gets a lot more complicated. You really have to think about who's visiting the site, where you want them to go, what you want them to, how you want them to feel, what you want them to do, what questions they have, what content they need. Again, if our objective is to turn your website from maybe an online brochure into a lead generation machine, there are another set of strategic conversations and some strategic thinking that you're going to have to start applying. It's easy to list out products. It's easy to list out, you know, uh, about you, your company page. It's easy to list out the services that you provide and have a contact us page. You know, that site that I just, you know, articulated there is an online brochure. And a lot of companies have online brochures. But we are really advocating that you turn your website into a, a marketing tool that produces leads for the business, leads that can be nurtured and leads that can ultimately be turned into sales opportunities. And there are really just a very few specific ways to do that. Um, and one way is to start thinking about it like this. Later on in the show, I'm going to talk to you about like a, a, a document that you can use to strategically plan out your website. And it has all of these elements in it. All of these elements need to be thought through and identified up front. 
When you're looking at a website project rebuild or even update or upgrade, I want you to think a little bit about it like your home. You would never build a house without a set of plans. You would never build a house without engaging an architect who sits down with you and understands what you want your house to be and what features you think it needs and you know how you want to use your home. And then they design the plans for you that match perfectly. And you look at the plans and you're like, yes, but we make this room a little bit bigger because we host a lot. Or I don't know if I need such a big closet. We really don't keep a lot of things in this part of the house. Maybe we could have a bigger closet somewhere else. You make some adjustments to the plans. The plans get signed off on. And the plans go to the builder. Now the builder knows exactly what to do. They know what materials to use. They know what size everything needs to be. Uh, they can produce a home that matches these plans exactly. And you really need to think about your website the same way. Most people start their website project worrying about what's it going to look like. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. Because while it's important what it looks like, it's not the most important thing. The most important thing for your website is going to be... Um, an ability to actively engage your prospects, share educational content with them, get them to start to feel safe with your organization, and ultimately get them to come out of the forest and identify themselves. Now, there is a lot of conversation about whether you should be gating content to generate a lead or ungating content to share it with more people. Obviously, uh, if you if you look at content that's gated, it's somewhere between two out of 10 people that actually see that gated content end up sharing their information or to get the content. However, if you're letting everybody get it, you know, it's a very good likelihood that 100% or 95% of the people that land on that page are going to take that content, get to read it and probably feel better about your company. So, you know, we recommend a, a hybrid approach to gating and ungating. There are some people that want you to ungate everything. There are some people that want you to gate everything. Our approach is to ungate those uh, uh, educational materials that are early in the buyer journey that answer questions for people who are just starting to look around and perhaps gating some of the content or some of the uh, offers that are more mid and late stage buyer journey. So after they've gotten to know you without any friction, um, when they are ready to talk to you or they are ready to kind of engage in more detail with you, it's okay to ask for some contact information and generate that lead and run up traditional nurture program on that. So um, you really have to think that out. Um, and like I said, the strategy behind the website plan is going to be the most important thing you do. And I'll even go so far as to say the reason you may be looking at a website that's a year old and now uh, after listening to us, you decide it needs some upgrades it's probably because you didn't really go at it strategically and you didn't really think about how to turn it into a lead generation machine, how to manage someone's experience through the site, how to build pages for different personas, how to build pages for different people based on their buyer journey, um, how to sequence the content. All of those things are very important, um, even down to the point where we want to know how people feel on different pages. Again, there are pages that are going to be uh, for people who are anxious and you're going to try to make them feel better, more secure. There are pages for people who are you know, looking to make a purchase decision and they're already pretty safe. You want to make sure that they remain safe and, and, and uh, comfortable with what's on there. So those are all really very important uh, elements of what uh, you're going to try to do with your website. So let's talk a little bit about some of the analytics because uh, this can be something that informs whether your site needs work or not. And 
there are such a wide variety of analytics that you want to take a look at. And, and first of all, I think it goes without saying, if you've been listening to this show, watching the show long enough, we're big fans of data and uh, it should be data for your website should be something that you have at your fingertips. You're either running Google Analytics, which provides a lot of data associated with your website, or perhaps your website might be on a tool like HubSpot. The HubSpot CMS provides a lot of analytics around the data. And you really wanna know what pages people are going to. You really wanna know what they're doing on those pages. Uh, you really wanna know what pages they're going to after they go to those original pages. And you really wanna uh, understand the specific activity on those specific pages. So you know, you're gonna wanna look at, are people spending time on this page? Are people clicking on this page to go to other pages? So it would have a low exit rate and a high click-through rate. You really wanna look at how many pages people are looking at when they land on your site. If they're only looking at one or two, they're probably not finding what they're looking for. If they're looking at six or seven, well, then they probably are finding what they're finding out what they're looking for. And then on those pages where you are trying to capture a lead, you wanna make sure that you have a relatively high conversion rate on those pages and that your offers are turning visitors into leads. Uh, and when you collect all of that aggregate information and you do it even at the highest level, you're going to get a pretty good picture as to whether the site is doing what it's supposed to do or not. Eric, you want to add anything to that? I don't know, Mike, that was amazing. You are rolling. I <laughs> was taking notes myself. It was so comprehensive. Nice job. Thank you. Thank you. So um, it's more than likely you're going to run into some type of analytics that, that indicate that you could have some issue. Um, Recently, we've been noticing a lot of websites are having declines in organic search. And, you know, when you're looking at the amount of people coming to your website from organic search and you see a decline over a couple of months, uh, that might be worth looking into. What could be causing that? Uh, we've noticed that Google changed their algorithm twice in the past year, um, a little over, a little under a year ago. They changed the desktop algorithm to uh, really benefit sites that load very quickly and are optimized for speed. And just a few months ago, they changed the mobile algorithms around the same set of upgrades. So if you haven't looked at your site in a year, if you haven't made changes to your site in a year, it's probably likely that it's loading more slowly than Google would like it to be. Your, your images haven't been optimized. There could be some code or even some... Uh, uh, I mean, I would describe it as like a snippet, but a little application that might be running that could also prevent your site from loading properly. For instance, uh, every site has to ask you if you will accept their cookies or not. That little window that pops up with a message that no one reads and a button accept, don't accept that everybody accepts, not even knowing what you're actually saying yes to. Every website has that. Um, Google is not considering the site loaded until that page, that little window pops up and loads. So, you know, if that's not loading quickly, that's going to delay the time that Google sees your site to load. So you have to take a look at these things. If you have a chat bot that's popping up, that might delay the total site load time too. So it's worth digging into some of these metrics on a fairly regular basis just to see how you're doing and making sure that, that the site is performing the way it ought to be. The other thing I want to talk a little bit about is kind of um, uh, the specific language is growth driven design, but it, it's really like a, that's a very specific label for a larger concept that I think it's worth introducing. And that is 
a lot of companies feel like their website is like a project you do every three years. Big project. Every three years, we get our new website. And what Eric and I are going to encourage you today is to think about your website as more as like a living project, something that you're working on every single week or every single month. And this idea of growth-driven design basically puts some framework around the idea that you're going to launch a website. It doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to be complete. And you're then going to use data from that actual website performance to add pages, to add different elements, to make updates and adjustments and upgrades to the site. And if it's something that you're working on every single month, then the site's going to get better very organically. And this idea of continuously improving the website is going to allow you to really focus on some specific areas that need attention and, and, and make upgrades and updates and add additional pages as you see fit. You know, if people are asking a lot of questions about who you are and you don't have an about us page, you can add one. Uh, this concept of questions is very relevant when it comes to websites because clients are coming to your website with questions. You need to identify those questions and the position in which those questions fall into the prospect's buyer journey is going to be very important in terms of deciding what content and what pages you need on the website. You want to add something to that, Eric? Oh, I sure do. I had an interesting conversation recently where um, we were talking about length of sales cycle and the person said, yeah, it's about four to six months to close one of our deals. So I said to him, well, tell me what the sales cycle looks like. He said, well, we spend the first month or so just answering questions and like sh kind of showing them stuff. So I said, would you say that 80% of the questions that those folks are asking are the same in every engagement? He goes, oh, absolutely. Same thing over and over again, like Groundhog's Day. So I said, well, what if you put the answers to all those questions on your website? Wouldn't that be a great way to educate people before they even got to the sales process? And then he said, oh my goodness, if we did that, that might cut our sales cycle in half. Like you could literally see the light bulbs going off. And you know, since we already agreed, people are visiting your website before they'll ever reach out to put that content on the website and continuously update it and refresh it with new issues that come up or trends or things that are going on is brilliant. Yeah, that's such a good point. And that might also seem, you know, uh, in, in this conversation, uh, in the context of this conversation, that might seem like a lot of work or, you know, how do I organize all that? So let me give you some framework by which I think it will help you reconsider the website project and how it fits into this concept of helping sales. So we talked many, many episodes ago about the prospect buyer journey. Um, the cyclonic buyer journey that Square Two created that we use with our clients has eight different stages in it. it. Starts with people who are unaware of you and ends up with people who are actually getting services from you. So actually customers are included in this particular buyer journey. If you're gonna use that map or that framework or any buyer journey framework, it doesn't really matter, but those different stages of the buyer journey all have different questions that people ask them. If Eric were to ask this guy, you know, more specifically, well, are the questions they ask when they first meet you different than the questions they ask after they've been talking to you for a month or two, he would of course say, yes, you know, the questions they're asking me in the middle are a lot more detailed because they're smarter now than they were when we first met. That's every prospect for every company. So when you start to look at the buyer journey, which is something you would want to do for website strategy anyway, 
And you start to collect these questions and, and uh, layer these questions into each stage of the buyer journey, you're really quickly going to get a nice map that can be used to start to sketch out what your website should look like. You know, if we have a, a, a page that features information and content for people who might be just learning about, you know, digital marketing and um, uh, a, a digital transformation journey and how to grow revenue digitally, like they're going to need a lot of educational information and we're going to serve that up to them based on the questions they're going to ask. When people are about to hire us and they're coming back to our website and they're looking at our team and they're looking at our case studies and they're looking at, you know, some maybe some some content around questions to ask digital agencies that they might be considering, like those are a whole different set of questions and a whole different set of pages and a whole different set of content that we're serving up to them. So, you know, this this idea of buyer journey and questions can really start to, to put a nice framework around your website project. And it be, should become much easier at that point to design something that does generate leads and produces qualified sales opportunities. Let's talk a little bit about budget before we get into some of the questions here. Eric, you're the budget master. Yes. What, what should we really be thinking about in terms of maybe, and let's, I'll give you two, two concepts to answer. Like maybe the website upgrade versus the website redo. Uh, give us some idea of what, you know, how to think about budget. Yeah. So I think that let's go back earlier, the conversation where you said that a lot of people consider their website project as a one and done, right? We did our website two years ago. It's fine, right? That's obviously not the way to go. So I had this great conversation and uh, they made an interesting point, which I'd like to bring to the audience. They said people don't value their websites like they do other assets of their company. So I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, let's say there's a manufacturing company and they buy a, a new machine for $50,000. They don't buy the new machine, get it all set up, and then just let it sit there for years and years. They're always maintaining it on a monthly basis. They're adding new features that come from the manufacturer. They're swapping out this tool for that tool, this little addition to that addition. And they're trying to constantly squeeze the must the most efficiency they can out of that investment that they make. It's an asset for their company. It's an expensive asset and it, 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 it enables them to do business. People don't look at their website like they look at a machine in their factory. The website is like an annoying project that takes a long time to set up and then we just get it done and forget about it, which nobody would ever not maintain their expensive machine in their factory. They oil it, they clean it, they make sure that it's running smoothly, they change the belts. I don't know, I'm the least person to deal with a machine, but you know what I'm saying. And I think when you look at the website that way, now it becomes a real asset for your company. So let's talk about investing. If the machine is $50,000, that's one expense, right? But then you got to have the manufacturer's tech come in every quarter, take it and give it a once over, fix it up, add the new things, replace parts and so forth. So nobody, when they're looking at a new machine, would never incorporate the maintenance expense in their budget. But a lot of people forget that the website has to be maintained and oiled and optimized as well. So I think from budgeting, you're right. It should be a two-part conversation. What is it going to day to take down my 1973 brown and orange website and replace it with something that's contemporary? And then what should I budget for ongoing maintenance, upgrades, repair, optimization, and so forth going forward? So since I do a lot of work around pricing, websites are really dependent upon what story you have to tell. 
If you have a very simple business, and I don't mean small business, I mean simple business, maybe you could get away with a 10-page website and it'll be very effective on what you're doing. But if you have a complex business, meaning a lot of offerings to a lot of different target markets or personas, and maybe um, some international flavor or whatever, now you need a much more robust website. So the range of a website these days could be anywhere from $20,000 to uh, question mark, right? Could be, uh, we've done plenty of $100,000 websites in our time, right, Mike? Yes. Now, how you determine that is what your goals and objectives are out of the website. Just like any other marketing program, websites have must-haves and they have nice-to-haves, right? So let's say we're a mortgage company. We would love to have a specific interest rate calculator. Is that a must-have or is that a nice-to-have? If it's a must-have, I would build it into the original pricing. If it's a nice-to-have, then I would put it on the maintenance program that every month we're adding a few things or changing a few things on the website. From an ongoing perspective, once again, there's a big range. But if you didn't budget a thousand bucks, you'd be remiss in fixing up your website. And if you budgeted fifty thousand dollars a month, that's too much for any website. You, nobody needs that much work. But I would say that if you cut it right down the middle, the typical website project is going to be anywhere from thirty to fifty thousand dollars to build it on the platform with everything you need to go to market. And then I would budget one or two thousand dollars a month ongoing just to maintain it and make sure that it's updated and optimized. Yeah, I love your machine metaphor. I don't think I've ever heard that before. That's such a good way to think about it. Companies would not hesitate to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on the machine they need and to keep it maintained properly. They might even buy the maintenance package, right? Like, yeah, have the tech come out for $2,000 every month and, and run it through its service protocols and tune it up and upgrade the software. And like, yeah, that would be like definitely something they would consider. Um, but they don't think about the website the same way. It's really a machine for the sales and marketing team, which is probably the, one of the more important teams in the company. If they don't have the right equipment, they're not going to produce revenue. So I, I, I like that quite a bit. It's actually the machine, Mike. The machine, right. Um, sometimes we talk to, to clients about like website budgets and it's somewhere, in, and Eric kind of quoted it like completely, but if you're looking- well, Wait a minute, wait a minute. When I gave that quote, that's to do a real professional yeah. website with all the bells and whistles. You could definitely find a guy in his garage to do it for a thousand bucks. But then right. that is that your goal and objective to get the cheapest website or the most effective website, just like you wouldn't buy the cheapest machine. You would right. buy a real quality machine that's going right. to last for years. Right. I was just going to say, like, it's usually between two to four thousand dollars a page, if you want to think about it like that, because Eric's right, the page count and the 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 size of the site from a page perspective is relevant but then so are some of the other things that you need the, the, the site to do. Obviously, if you have a shopping cart and a huge product category, product library, it's gonna be more expensive. Obviously, if you have fancy interactive tools on, it's gonna be more expensive. Um, you know, so there's lots of ways to cut it up, but you know, if you're looking for a professional firm to do it, two to $4,000 a page is probably reasonable. And that should come with you know, the proper QA and a, the delivery of a flawless website. You should not be getting a website where you have to go through and be like, oh, this link doesn't work. Oh, this isn't the right copy. Oh, this page is an old version, not the latest version. It should be exactly what you expect it to be. Just like, as I said earlier, when you buy your house and you have your plans and they're finished, you go through your walkthrough and you're really expecting everything to look fantastic. You should expect the same thing from your website. Agreed. 
Okay, uh, let's do some questions. How about that? Love the questions. You sure do. And we have a really, really uh, eclectic group of people who provided questions this week. So this question is from Nacho in Las Vegas. He'd like to know, if I need our IT team to make changes to our website, should we be considering a different website platform? And if so, what? Yeah, we actually come across this really frequently. You know, back in the old days, which old days is five years ago, a lot of times IT controlled the website because it seems like technology, software, maybe it was hosted internally on a server, but that's just no longer the case today. 99% of the time, what you want is to have your website hosted on some kind of platform, content management system platform. So IT, of course, can be involved if there's anything that has to connect, for example, to an ERP system, perhaps. But these days, IT does not have to be part of this conversation. You put it on a platform like HubSpot, the content management system is very powerful and incredibly easy to use. And the marketing team can, or the revenue ops team, depending on how you structure your company, can go in there, make changes, add pages, do whatever you want. So I think that the um, IT being involved in website perhaps is a little dated. We don't really need them to get involved. Also, you want to make sure that security is considered, right? Because that is a big issue today. And we don't want IT having to build all sorts of security workarounds and firewalls. If you put it on a secure platform, it literally takes that whole problem out of the equation. So that's the way I view IT when it comes to a website. Yeah, I think also we see that with bigger companies when they're when like a lot of the mid-sized companies we work with, like their IT department is relatively small. Um, it's focused on, you know, laptops and, and equipment and, and those kinds of things. So when it came to the website, marketing picked it up. But as we, even when we work with larger companies, enterprise level businesses, there are security related issues and there's technology related issues that have kind of brought the IT group into the conversation around the website. You know, if they've, if they, if they're a Microsoft shop, then the question of what, CMS to use, there was no question, it was it was Microsoft's. And, and because IT decided we we're going to be a Microsoft shop, IT also was involved in the CMS and the website and, and those kinds of things. I've also found that at larger companies, the website isn't always viewed as a, as a lead machine. It's viewed as a as corporate, just corporate brochure. Cor corporate communications, right? Investor relations and those kinds of things. So yeah, you're right, Eric. So you know, again, like IT is managing it because marketing never really even looked at the website as anything that they needed to worry about. So that is changing. That piece of it is definitely changing. And also to Eric's point, we've noticed that even at these larger companies, they're kind of starting to like embrace the idea that they don't need to deal with the website. They have bigger fish to fry to Eric's point, security, cybersecurity, threats, access, credentials, you know, laptops getting locked down, you know, everyone moving to remote, they have so many bigger issues, you know, migrating from, from, you know, this outlook to the next version of outlook, like the last thing they really need to worry about is the website. So uh, Nacho, I think this is an opportunity for you to go to IT and say, hey, I think the, the marketing team can pick up the website. We, we will make sure it's secure. Any of your, you know, security related concerns, we can make sure those boxes get checked. You know, HubSpot does a really good job checking those boxes in terms of a, a two-stage authentication and, and users with access to different stages of the of the uh, different uh, parts of the website. So, 
we've seen a lot of very sophisticated IT teams bless HubSpot. And that then does give the marketing uh, folks an opportunity to go in and, and be more active with the website and keep it updated. So I think, Nacho, it's time to go to the IT guys and say, hey, marketing's ready to take over the website. Which, which is the trend. It's not like unusual Agreed. or contrarian. Agreed. And like I said, a lot of the people, a lot of the IT people we've come in contact are happy to get rid of it. So it seems like it's suiting everybody's needs. All right. I got a question from Dottie in San Jose, California. What specifically should we be looking at on a weekly basis to see how the site is doing? I touched on that a little bit, but maybe you have something you want to add to that? Well, you're really the chief revenue scientist. You're looking at all the scientific parts, including the metrics. I would think that a lot of people get bogged down with dashboards and it's not the dashboards that we love. It's the insights that come from the data. And I think that that's a big conversation, right? So, um, you know, while it's nice to look at certain metrics on a weekly basis, the question is, what the heck are you going to do with that information once you get it? So you could take it from there, Mike. This is your, your uh, sweet spot. Yeah, Dottie. So I would say to you, it's a little bit like peeling the onion. So, you know, when I look at a client's data around their website, or if I look at Square Two's data, the first thing I'm looking at is like, how many people are coming to the site? Right. Like that's that's like the first out that, that's the outside of the onion. You have to get every single month more and more people coming to the site. And there are a variety of sources that people uh, are, will be coming from. Then you want to see where they're going and those pages. So you might dig in and say, OK, what pages are doing the best from a visitor perspective? And from there, you're going to want to see what pages are converting, because the next big piece you want to look at is how many leads did we get or how many new contacts did we get from this specific amount of traffic? So now you're looking at landing pages, you're looking at website pages, you're looking at CTA buttons, you're looking at offers, you're looking at those. Uh, the, the, the next level of the onion is looking at those pages specifically. So, you know, um, and potentially using some heat mapping software. How far down this page are they scrolling? Where are they putting their mouse? What things are they clicking on? Why aren't they clicking on this offer? Maybe I need a different button on it. So, I mean, it's almost unlimited the amount of time you could spend peeling back the onion, looking at this data and trying to uncover things. I try to work on specific areas of the site at on specific, it's not like Monday I do this and Tuesday I do that, but like, one day I might really look at traffic metrics and see how we're doing from a traffic perspective. And I might dig into that. Like I've been spending a lot of time with technical SEO and the performance of our website and hoping that that will improve our rankings, right? And I only say hope because no one really knows exactly how Google ranks us. We really have to make the changes, look at the data and then give it some time to, to see if the traffic numbers um, respond. Uh, Two days later, I might look at some landing pages and, and spend some time looking at the landing pages and see you know, why some pages are doing better than others. Um, I might look at making some adjustments to those pages that aren't doing as well and seeing if they can do better. Other days, I might look at uh, conversion metrics on CTAs, like which CTAs are doing better than others. So there's so many things to look at. Eventually, after a couple of weeks, I might circle back around to traffic. But that's generally how I try, try to look at it. And, you know, Eric's right about the insights. There's really nothing you can do about that except keep working it, like keep analyzing the performance and keep running these little tests. Those insights come from successful tests. So when you see something that looks funny and you change something and the performance improves, 
now you know what to look for again. And unfortunately, that's like a Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours thing. Like you really have to be doing this for an extended period of time for lots of different companies and a lot of different industries to be good at uncovering these insights. Um, lots of our clients lean on us to tell them what those insights are because we have a lot of experiences. But uh, my advice to you would be just to dig in and start looking around. Don't try to go crazy with your analysis, but you know, start looking at different parts of the website at different times during the week. And eventually you'll start to see some trends and you'll be able to make some adjustments to it. All right, I got a question from Mauricio in Mexico City. You know, I don't know, Eric, if you know, but we're very big in Mexico. The, the IP addresses from Mexico are going through the roof. How, fre see, how frequently should we be considering a website redo, upgrade, or update? What about an entirely new site launch? Well, I mean, I think that depends on what's going on in the business, right? If your business is humming along and everything is fine, and I mean stable from like an offerings perspective, like we do what we do and we haven't changed that, maybe not so frequent uh, for a complete overhaul, right? Maybe that's just more of a, let's put new content on there. Let's add some landing pages about campaigns we're running, right? I don't think you need the overhaul, but these days, some of our clients, they move fast. They make an acquisition, right? They uh, 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 unveil a whole new offering. They blow up their uh, existing offering and they replace it with a new one. Um, they uh, enter into new markets and need to translate some of their pages into Dutch. I mean, the, 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 the opportunities are endless about how much you can expand your website. So I think when your leadership team does strategic planning for the year, there should be a side conversation with marketing about, look, here's our annual plan. These are some of the initiatives we're going to do this year. How do we make the website tell the story in real time of what we're doing? And maybe not in real time, but there shouldn't be more than a two or three week delay besides what's going on and then uh, it re being reflected on the website. So I think that's more of a business leadership and communicating that to the marketing team so that they can make it match kind of scenario. But I guess because of technology and uh, obsolescence of certain things, I would think no more than two and a half, three years before the website has to be redone. And once again, if I was working my machine in my factory 24 hours a day, seven days a week, after three years, it might wear out, even if I'm producing the same product I was before. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think you want to try to move out of that legacy thinking um, Mauricio, I, I think you really want to just make smaller changes more frequently. You know, I, I think, you know, the way website technology is today, it's very possible to make universal changes on the site. So it would look different on every page. If that was something you needed to do, that could be maybe one of the, one of the changes that get done as part of your, your ongoing effort to continuously improve the site. So you're adding pages, you're making changes to pages, maybe, you know, one month you reskin it and it looks completely differently. So I think you want to try to move away from this. We get a new website every three years and that website project is painful for everybody involved and the launch is a big to do. I think you'd be much better off making more gradual uh, updates on a more regular basis um, and, and start thinking about your website more like that, uh, as opposed to this thing that gets done every couple of years. 
Yeah, one quick note, Mike, about that, that sometimes things throw you curveballs also. We have a client that has been on a old, or I should say uh, antiquated content management system, and they recently announced they're discontinuing support of that content management system. Yeah. That's a natural breaking point to build a new website and put it on a new platform. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, like they would have had a little more runway to that if they had maybe paying a little closer attention to what was going on with their particular technology stack. But yeah, it makes sense. All right, I got a question from Astrid in Juneau, Alaska. We have an online brochure. How hard is it to retrofit it to be more lead generating like you guys are talking about? Well, the, the concept is easy, right? I'm gonna add more conversion points, but the mechanics might be tough. If you're on some kind of like homegrown CMS and it's very difficult to edit the pages, or if you're on that content manager system that's no longer gonna be supported like we just talked about, it might be kind of difficult if you don't have the right tools. I would think that even if you had to build uh, those things from scratch, it would still be reasonable compared to the ROI you would get by enlarging your database 10X and having new opportunities to sell to because people are converting. So it's 100% necessary, but I think there's some variables there that have to be considered on how quote unquote easy or hard it's gonna be. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you might have an online brochure that, that looks great and it wouldn't be difficult for us to go through and add you know educational content and and do an audit of the site and make sure that it has content for people at different stages of the buyer journey and all your personas it's possible you have that and then it wouldn't be hard at all um if during the audit you don't have those things then it's you're probably looking at a complete redo it's probably going to be cheaper to start from scratch than it would be to retrofit all of those different things into your online brochure so Astrid, let us know if you want us to do an audit. Uh, I got a question from Wyatt in Sedona, Arizona. How should we think about website strategy before we dive into a website redesign? Yeah, that's really a, a multi-day uh, multi answer because it, the, the options, you know, every website is customized, right? So the options are infinite. I would think though, that you want to make sure that you're using best practices as a starting point, right? Nobody puts their navigation at the bottom of the home, right? Like, I mean, I know that's ridiculous, but like you want to start with best practices, right? And that could provide for the framework of what you want to do. Then you want to map your business, right? What are the areas of our business we need to talk about? What are the offerings that we have? So that's number two. If I only sell mozzarella cheese to pizza shops in Philadelphia, that's a pretty simple website to affect, right? But if I have some kind of like wholesale line and retail line, and I have my referral sources and my distributor network, and they all have to come in and have their own parts of the website, it tends to be a bit of a octopus with many, many arms to that website. So mapping your business to understand what's going on is important. Then there's that other layer. Different personas are going to be coming to different parts of the website. So now how do we have a content strategy for each one of those personas, which has to be baked in to either the navigation or conversion points within the separate pages. On top of that, you got a blog. Now, where's that blog gonna live? And is the blog gonna be blogging about things for uh, persona one, persona two, persona three? Do we need two different blogs? Like it starts to get complex as your business complexity level rises as well. But I would always start with best practices. I would look at websites that you admire and how when you enjoy navigating those and take some learnings from that and maybe bake them into your own project. But look, we've done uh, hundreds of websites over the years. 
would, would it even be a thousand, Mike? I don't know, but let's say uh, a thousand might be a lot, but it's definitely in the hundreds for sure. Yeah, So hundreds of websites, each one of them had their own peculiarities. There's never like a template we just plug things into because every business is different, just like every person is different. Every, uh, you know, a, a, a grain of sand is different. So that's where you really have to consider that the website should start from a basic premise of what's uh, best practices now and then build upon that to really make it yours. Wyatt, I'm so glad you asked this question because I'm going to reveal our Easter egg right now. So what? if you guys are interested, Square2 has decided to share our website blueprint workbook framework. So the same tool we use to strategically plan out our client websites is now available to anyone who emails me at mike at square2marketing.com. This is also a workbook we're going to be offering at our webinar tomorrow for people who register, and it will literally step you through the same strategy we use with our clients to build their website, and we'll actually give you some tools that you can start to map out your own website with the same considerations we take when we build client websites. And we've never shared this document before. It's always been very proprietary, but because we think this is so important to companies today, um, we're going to be sharing this to everyone who asks me for it as a result of this show and everybody who comes to our webinar tomorrow at one o'clock. So Wyatt, hang on to your hat. This document's coming your way. I guarantee it will help you think about your website strategy going forward. And I got a question from Kendall in Sacramento, California. Honestly, how often is Google making changes that impact the performance of our site? Seems like she's a little skeptical, uh, Eric. Yeah, there's, you know, the, the, uh, the, the dark web is, uh, is working there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kendall, Google makes changes to their algorithm literally weekly. Um, they're all not major changes. Uh, there is a website that you can actually subscribe to and they will announce all that you can actually see every single change they make. Some of them are very small uh, and don't have, won't really have much impact on your website. Some of them, like the two we referenced, the performance upgrades to desktop and mobile are much bigger and have a, had a major impact on many, many, many websites. So, um, I, you know, if you're really curious about how frequently it's more frequent than you think. Um, and while you don't need to pay attention to all of them, a lot of them are worth noting because they're very clear when they, they won't tell you what they're about to do, but when they do do it, they're very clear about what they did and what you need to do about it. So um, there are a number of Google sites that you can literally subscribe to to get notified of their changes. And it might not be a bad idea just to put yourself down for those notifications if you're curious about how frequently these actually come up um, because they generally do one or two major ones a year. Um, and, and sometimes they do three or four major ones a year. So I think you want to be aware of that. Okay, we talked about budget. Patrick from Burlington, Vermont, should have got his budget question answered. Um, all right, so this is from Thorstein in Amsterdam. How long does it take for a new site to start ranking? That's a good question. So there's really two parts to that. Um, number one, the first thing is the site has to be crawled. And crawlers find your site naturally, and you can also submit your site to Google. So if you want to accelerate the ranking process, uh, I would su suggest you submit your website to Google and they will, they will uh, uh, accelerate the ranking process. I don't think it's immediate, but I think it would get you in line from people who have been requ requested to have their site crawled. Um, if you're not going to do that, it could take a month or two for the pages to rank or changes that you've made to the website to start to get in. And I think, again, it's not something you do once. I think if, if organic ranking is important to you, 
You need to kind of see where you rank for certain keywords and be working every single month to improve those rankings. It's not just going to be the technical design of your website. It's also going to be the content. Content. Eric mentioned blogging. You know, are you blogging about the right keywords? That helps you rank. Are you creating pillar pages around those particular keywords? That helps you rank. Are those pillar pages linked to the blogs that you wrote? Like, there's a very specific content strategy that is really important uh, for Google to rank you and rank you highly for those keywords. And I would say it's probably a solid... 60% on the technical and 40% on the content these days. Google is just obsessed with serving up fast sites. And I don't blame them. You know how you feel. I had that happen to me today. I was waiting for a site to load on my phone and it just wasn't loading. I just left. I mean, I didn't wait three, four, five, six seconds for the site to load. I'm like, oh, there must be something wrong with the site back. And they know that. And the last thing they want to do is serve up highly ranked pages that don't deliver really fast and amazing experiences for their users. So you can't blame them. It's now on us to create sites that are lightning fast. That's and that you're talking about, you know, sub two seconds to load everything on that site. If your site can't load in two seconds, you're not going to get ranked. Uh, and that's becoming more and more important to Google and more and more important to all of us who use Google to find information. All right, so this is from Seamus in Scotland. Wow, we have quite the uh, European audience today. International you, flavor. Yeah, can you talk about the different CMS options for websites today? You wanna get that started and I'll kind of back you up on it? Well, in my experience, there's really two choices that are the most popular and that's WordPress and HubSpot, right? So, you know, in those two choices, you have a couple options. WordPress is free, WordPress is incredibly flexible, WordPress is the most popular CMS in the world. A lot of good things going on there. However, there's also some challenging things, right? When you're using the WordPress CMS, you got to always be checking that everything's updated and all your plugins are working and all the things that you kind of Frankenstein together to make your uh, CMS what you want it to do is constantly upgraded and maintained. Where on the other hand, you have HubSpot, incredibly flexible, takes care of all the updates because it's obviously a platform that you don't have to worry about, but it's expensive in comparison because WordPress is free for the most part besides the plugins and things like that. So I think it's a matter of like, you know, doing your investigation and finding out what's best for you. Um, would you say, Mike, I, I, I would just take a gut guess at this saying 50% of our clients are on WordPress and 50% of our clients are on HubSpot? Yeah, I mean, there's a small percentage of clients that are bigger that are on more enterprise CMSs like Sitecore and a couple on, on, on a product called Emberco. But I think for most mid-market clients, it's WordPress and HubSpot for sure. Um, and, you know, you're right. A lot of people went to WordPress because there is a paid version of WordPress if you want more attention from them and more kind of uh, support around these plugins and, and the, the special things that this uh, site can do. But you're right. Majority of people have the free WordPress website and they don't really realize it needs a little bit of attention. In fact, lots of times when we see sites that aren't working, they're generally on WordPress and, and have had some kind of expired plugin that no longer works properly and no one was even aware of it. So I think if you're talking about most of the people that are probably watching the show, those are the two most significant players in the CMS space. All right, one more question here and then we'll wrap it up. Satchel from Columbia, South Carolina. And Eric, this question's right up your alley. What are some innovative ways sales can leverage our website to help them close more new business? Well, I got a couple of answers for that. The first thing is, is that we want to answer questions and address concerns right on the website. 
you know, lots of times people come to square two, they're like, oh, I was really through your website. I really felt good about what you're talking about. Now, I don't know if feel good equates to money, but at least it wasn't friction. It was aiding them. It was greasing the sales process so that they were moving through it. So I think that, you know, when you're looking at how does it help sales, that's definitely a big issue, right? Oh, you're interested in website CMSs? Let me send you a link to our landing page where we talk about it. And it's already... Um, what's the right word, um, predetermine what those questions will be in sales that are already accounted for in the content on those pages. Then there might be other things that you could do for sales. So for example, I, I think it was like 10 episodes ago, we talked about our reference reel, Mike. Mm -hmm, yeah. And that reference reel was a, a proactive solution to our company creating 10 or 12 of our clients talking on a uh, stitched together uh, reference reel about their experience at Square Two. Sales was having a problem because every time that people asked for references for our, our work, it took like two weeks for them to connect, have the meeting, write up their notes, get everybody organized, a vacation came in the middle there, whatever. And now it bogged down our close rate by another two weeks. So you can ask marketing to put together uh, tools that you might need in sales, post them to the website so that you could refer to them in client situations. We haven't had a client ask for references in months because of that simple move there. And that was a combination of efforts between sales and marketing to get that up so that we could close deals faster. Yeah, uh, those are both really good suggestions. And I'll add one more to close this out. Um, you know, if you're doing a good job with your website strategy, then you know who your personas are. And if you're doing a good job with your personas, then you know, you know, kind of what role those people might be in, what industry they might be in what pains they might be having. And it's probably worth considering creating some pages for those very specific personas. So if I'm a salesperson and I'm talking to a CFO of a manufacturing company and I can say, oh, let, let me show you the CFO manufacturing page on my website. And that page is chock full of CFO manufacturing related stories, content, materials, videos, references, case studies. How could you not? How, how could that not help sales? I mean, that's just an asset, a collection of assets that is going to make any CFO of a manufacturing company feel like you know them, you understand them, you've worked with other people like them. Um, you know, you, you, you're answering my questions before I even ask them, how could they not feel good about that? Um, so that might be uh, an asset that could be part of your website that would really lean into helping the sales team. Um, the other thing I could mention, this is not really exactly the same thing as, well, may, maybe it is. Uh, so we're a HubSpot partner and we do a lot of co-selling with the HubSpot sale, direct sales team. And a couple months ago, they asked us, uh, not asked us, they actually said, oh, some of our other partners have this kind of private page for reps that basically talk to reps, just like I outlined the CFO manufacturing persona. Here's another persona. It, in our case, it's the HubSpot direct sales rep. So we created a page for them that talks about how we help them and how we work with them and you know what, what it's gonna be like for them to work with us on a deal and you know all the things that they care about. And I was actually checking recently and it has a ton of views, 300 views. And it hasn't even been live for more than 
a month, maybe a month and a half. I don't even, I don't even know how many more HubSpot direct reps there are. I mean, I think there's about 300. So that was pretty impressive that a page like that, and we didn't do much promotion other than sharing it with a couple of people that we work with there. And I guess it's gotten shared internally, but you know, there's an example, if you have a partner that you're trying to co-sell with, or you have some other people that maybe might need some additional information about your business that you want to host on a website page, um, really good example of kind of an innovative way to think about the site. Now it's private. So the only way you get to that is if you have the URL, you can't navigate over to it because that wouldn't make sense if a client found that page on our prospect found that page on our website, but nonetheless, it's there and it works the same way our other pages do uh, opportunity to schedule meetings with Eric and look at ca calendars and, you know, all kinds of like the right appropriate widgets for that audience. Um, so that might be something to think about also. All right, let me just wrap up here in the last minute or two. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Next week, episode 41, What's Wrong with Revenue, we're going to cover you're not looking at technology as an enabler and a growth multiplier. So we're going to talk about all the tech stack opportunities that can potentially help you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Eric, for being on the show with me today. Again, you're an awesome co-host as usual. Folks, if you're looking for the show, go check it out on YouTube, the Square Two Marketing channel. Like us, subscribe to it, and comment. You can pick up the show tomorrow on all your favorite podcast platforms. And if you head on over to Square Two Plus, square2marketing.com backslash square2 plus, you can get all the What's Wrong with Revenue episodes plus all of our other audio and video content. And if you like the show and want to submit a question, just go to the link at the bottom of our website, What's Wrong with Revenue, submit a question, and we will handle them just like we did for Astrid and Mauricio and Nacho today. Eric, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Have fun in Huntsville, and I'll catch you next Wednesday. Bye bye. <laughs>